this evening is the last in our talks on the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. It's a vast topic. We've only got one and a half hours together. The fact is that the Holy Spirit is the neglected person of the Trinity. We concentrate on God the Father and the Son, but you cannot read the Bible and not see the Holy Spirit present everywhere from the beginning of creation to the very end of the Bible. So we need to refocus on his ministry among us. The work of the Holy Spirit was key to the ministry of Canon David Watson, whose ministry was based in York at the same church from which Roger Simpson also uh, works. Roger was, of course, at our events week at St. Michael the Belfry. David Watson sadly died much too young, and he preached his last sermon here at St. Michael's because he was attached to St. Michael's when he was working in London. He once said something I've found very helpful over the years, which is this. With the Word alone, the Bible, we dry up. With the Holy Spirit alone, you blow up. With the Word of God and the Spirit, we grow up. One of our core values at St. Michael's is that we are a Word and Spirit church. The Bible is taught faithfully, and the gifts of the Spirit and the work of the Spirit are welcomed and practiced biblically. What are the hallmarks of the Holy Spirit at work? Here's a true story, and I think, whilst it's not exactly on the point, it gives us some clues. It's told about a a vicar from Cornwall called William Haslam. It's in the 19th century, and he described what happened to him when he was preaching on a Sunday. Forgive the slightly archaic language. I went into the pulpit and gave my text. I don't remember all I said, but I felt a wonderful light and joy coming into my soul. Whether it was something in my words or my manner or my look, I know not. But all of a sudden, a local preacher who happened to be in the congregation stood up and putting up his arms, shouted out, the parson is converted, the parson is converted, hallelujah. In another moment, his voice was lost in the shouts and praises of three or four hundred of the congregation. Instead of rebuking this extraordinary brawling, brawling, as I should have done, I joined in the outburst of praise. And to make it more orderly, this is the Anglican bit, I gave out the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And the people sang it with heart and voice over and over again. And still the voice of praise went on and was swelled by the numbers of passers-by who came into the church, greatly surprised to hear and see what was going on. When this subsided, I found at least 20 people crying for mercy whose voices had not been heard in the excitement and noise of thanksgiving. They all professed to find peace and joy in believing. Amongst this number were three from my own house, and we returned home praising God. Isn't that a wonderful story? And I think it shows us a number of things. First of all, the Holy Spirit acts. He does things. He's at work. He brings spiritual life. His handiwork can be recognized. Passers-by came in and joined in as well. And God is acknowledged and praised. The classic section on the gifts of the Holy Spirit is from 1 Corinthians 12, chapter verses 1 to 11. I'm going to ask Mary Lewis if she'd just read these verses for us. Yes, page 1153, page 1153. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. 
You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works in all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Thank you very much, Mary Lewis. David Watson said this about chapters 12 to 14 of 1 Corinthians. These chapters are like a honey sandwich with love as the honey in the middle. Unfortunately, some lick the honey and ignore the rest of the sandwich, which is missing the whole point of chapter 13. While others swallow the bread, but forget about the honey, and that's bad for the spiritual digestion. It's important to stress the both and aspect of these chapters. So in chapter 14, verse 1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. The Corinthian church was full of young Christians converted from a pagan world, rather like London in our century. They had much to learn, in particular, the right use of the spiritual gifts. Gifts of the Spirit are expressions of the love of Christ to strengthen the body of Christ. After writing about the gifts of the Spirit, Paul immediately reminds the Corinthians of the gospel message as being of first importance. Christ's death on the cross for our sins, his burial, and his resurrection. But what safeguards are there to test whether some spiritual experience is true or false, genuine or counterfeit? The first one, I believe, is that God wants willing workers with Christ, so his Holy Spirit never forces or compels. Yes, there can be divine promptings, pressure, even conviction, but we remain in control as to whether we respond or not. So later when we have a time of worship, it may be that God gives you a picture or a Bible verse or something to share, but you have the choice whether you do that or not. Secondly, the lordship of Jesus is acknowledged. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 3, Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. And then from a passage in 1 John 4, is Jesus acknowledged as perfect man and God? Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And then I think there is the godliness and holiness of the person. Jesus said, by their fruit, you will recognize them. When the counselor comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, the spirit of truth, he will testify about me. The Holy Spirit is constantly the one pointing to Jesus, pointing away from himself. And I suppose the danger is 
that he does his job so successfully that we almost don't see him at work or we can overlook him. Paul summarizes teaching about the gifts in that chapter, verses 4 to 7 of chapter 12, in a wonderful way. He describes different kinds of gifts, verse 4, but the same spirit. And the word for gifts in Greek, charismata, charisma, a gift, and it's described as charismatic. A gift freely given, a birthday present. You don't earn it, you're given it. It's a gift. The Holy Spirit's gifts are gifts from God showing his love and for the benefit of others. And the whole Trinity is involved in these gifts because they're so important. So Paul mentions, verse 4, the same Spirit. Verse 5, the same Lord. Verse 6, the same God. So they're not to be ignored or neglected. And there are a great variety of gifts. 8 to 10, you could say, are remarkable ones. 28 to 30, teachers, apostles, helpers, administrators. Ephesians 4, evangelists and pastors. Romans 12, serving, exhorting, giving, and acts of mercy. There are a considerable number of different spiritual gifts mentioned in Scripture. There is no hint that any of these gifts have ceased. Possibly, perhaps, apostles, we would say, I think, that the apostles are restricted to Jesus' day, those who are with him as his close disciples. All gifts need a dependence on and a guidance of the Holy Spirit for an effective spiritual contribution to the body of Christ. I remember speaking about the gifts and mentioned in passing that administration was one of the gifts of the Spirit. And a lady came up to me almost with tears in her eyes and said, I think that's my gift. And where she was, there was calm and peace, and it certainly was her gift. It's not to be overlooked. So there are a variety of gifts. There are different kinds of service. An eager readiness to serve where the Holy Spirit gives his gifts. They're not forced on unwilling Christians, but given to those who are willing to be used. And verse 11 is absolutely key. The Holy Spirit gives them the gifts to each one just as he determines that's rather the same with any present, isn't it? At the end of the day, the donor decides what they're going to give you. Every Christmas, I give my family my list, and they ignore it entirely and give me what they would like to give. And they're often right. But it is true, we are earnestly to desire the spiritual gifts. And so on the one hand, we mustn't be trapped into wanting certain gifts and become depressed if we're not given them. But on the other hand, we are told to desire the gifts that will build up the body of Christ. There are different kinds of working, says Paul, verse 6. And that tells us again that the Holy Spirit is an active, dynamic force, divine energy flowing uh, through through someone, energometica, which is divine energy. Most gifts are not a static, permanent possession but are given as an expression of God's present activity when the need arises. So Jesus, by his Spirit, brings his help to someone in need through the gift that he has given to us. And if we reject or ignore these gifts, we could quench the Spirit, hold back God's work in our lives, and as a result, the fellowship is not strengthened and encouraged. I remember many years ago, 
someone saying that they were not going to come to our home group or whatever it was. And I said, oh, please come, because if you don't come, we are going to be handicapped. We're going to be restricted because you have a spiritual gift that we need. So please don't withdraw. Do come. And most especially, please look at verse 7. To each one, that means no one is left out, no follower of Jesus is left out. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. These spiritual gifts are given for everyone else. Gifts are given to every Christian, provided we're willing and wanting to be used. It doesn't depend on natural gifts and talents. It's entirely different. And indeed, those can get in the way. For if we look to our natural gifts and talents, they can encourage us to self-confidence rather than spirit-confidence. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. It's continuously being given. It's a normal part of the Christian life. The manifestation of the Spirit, his reality is unmistakable for the common good, strengthening and unifying the body of Christ. Now, we're going to do a a short exercise. Um, You should have the smaller list, and that has the list in the Bible uh, of the gifts of the Spirit. And the question I want you to ask in your group together is, which gifts do you think you have? Um, Now, if you don't know each other terribly well, perhaps you can help them and say, well, I think my gift is in this area. But you'll see from the list that there's a whole list there. And in a sense, we need to identify what the gift is that God has given us. Sometimes it's not obvious to us, but it is obvious to others. Heavenly Father, we are indeed yours. And we come before you as the loving God who loves us so much that you have gifts for us. Gifts not just for us to enjoy, but to encourage others, strengthen others, help others in their walk with you. What a generous God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want now to look at some of the gifts um, mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, particularly, I think, some of them which may be a little of a puzzle to us. So, for example, in verse 8, there's the gift of wisdom. Now, this is not, again, and I emphasize constantly, not a natural intelligence of a shrewd Christian, but a word given by God for a specific occasion. So, Stephen's enemies in Acts 6 could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. And Paul prayed for the Ephesians that God might give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So this particular gift refers to a deep understanding of God, God's word, and God's ways. And as I think about that, I often think of older Christians who I have turned to at various times in my life to seek wisdom, their wisdom, because often they have steeped their lives in God's word, steeped their, they have a deep understanding of God that I certainly didn't have. And often they have spoken that word, which has been a wise word to me, a word given for a specific occasion. There's the gift of knowledge, verse 8. 
which is a God-given insight into something outside our natural understanding. So Jesus knew about the Samaritan woman's relationships in John 4. You've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. And Peter, by the Spirit, knew in Acts 5 the false motives of Ananias and Sapphira. You remember they sold a field and they wanted everyone to think that they'd been immensely generous, but they'd kept back some of the money. And Peter says, you're not lying to me, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. So God may reveal something which is at the heart of a problem. It's happened to me once when I was asked about a situation and a word was given to me. It's given to me three times. So I didn't know if it was or it wasn't, but it seemed to me that I had to say the word. And it was a God-given word which enabled others to take appropriate action. And at the heart of the gifts of the Spirit, it seems to me, is not only the receiving of them, but the listening and paying attention to God. We live in a very talkative world. We talk a lot. There's the gift of faith. Now, that is not saving faith, but a special gift of faith, like the faith of the heroes listed in Hebrews 11. You remember the honors board of all those wonderful people who had special faith. Or the faith of the centurion in Capernaum with a sick servant. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus was astonished and said, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And of course, in more recent history, great men of God like Hudson Taylor, who founded the China Inland Mission, never asked for money, prayed it in. And George Muller in Bristol with the orphanage, never asked for money, but prayed it in. They had that sort of faith. And certainly of George Muller, it was so well known in Bristol, even for those who had no faith themselves, that it was a, a work of faith. There's a gift of healing. Now, interestingly, of all the gifts, I think this is one that the church has rediscovered. There are dangers in it because some make that terrible mistake of saying you will only be healed if you have enough faith, and if you're not healed, then you clearly haven't got enough faith. And certainly the disciples were instructed to preach the kingdom of heaven is near, heal the sick. Yet at the same time, Paul suffered his thorn in the flesh but there was a reason for it, to keep him from becoming conceited because of surpassing great revelations that he had received. It's always challenging to me when I go to hospital, as I have, I'm doing at the moment, seeing a man in intensive care. But I pray for his healing. It may be physical, it may be spiritual. It may be that his healing is to be brought home to heaven, but I pray for his healing his restoration to be what God has made him to be. Then the gift of miracles. I think that's wider than healings. Jesus stilling the storm, walking on the water. Of course, the greatest miracle in one sense is conversion, someone becoming a follower of Jesus. And you cannot become a follower of Jesus unless the Holy Spirit opens their eyes to the reality of God was one of the reasons which convinced me to become a Christian. It seemed to me that I could not have made it up myself. 
who Jesus was, what he did, what it meant for me. There were things that I should have known and should have understood, but up until that moment I hadn't, until, like scales from my eyes, I saw. And Jesus' promise that anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing, he'll do greater things than these. Now, it's not entirely clear what Jesus meant. Did he mean in quality, in quantity? One commentary says, no, it's probably that the disciples could do greater because they could now testify by word and deed to the finished work of Christ. They could go out in the world and speak of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, whereas before he died, his ministry foreshadowed his, his death and resurrection. There was a fuller coming of the kingdom that the disciples could speak confidently and clearly about. Nevertheless, miracles, whilst it's rare, if God gives that gift, can be used by God. A missionary told Tricia that she'd arrived in Guyana shortly after a terrible incident in 1978. A cult leader called Jim Jones, who professed to be a Christian, persuaded 900 of his followers to commit mass suicide. And Tricia asked the missionary how they were able to get a hearing for the gospel after such a betrayal of real Christianity. Oh, she said, God was good. The Holy Spirit saw to it that various miracles were performed as we went from village to village, which meant the people were open to listen to the good news of Jesus. Then there's prophecy. And I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about prophecy. It's not necessarily a foretelling of the future. It's often a foretelling. It's a message from God. And, of course, this was promised at Pentecost by Peter in Acts 2. In the last day, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. It was an ordinary morning service in my previous church, and it was the first of the Gulf Wars. And it was an ordinary morning prayer, and a lady came up to me, an elderly lady, absolutely shaking. And she said, Rector, you know, I don't hold with such things, but I've had a picture, and I know I have to tell you. And she told me what this picture was, and it was a message for the church. And so I shared it with the church. What is the effect of prophecy? Paul says, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. In a little time, we're going to pray for each other. It's a form of mass prayer ministry. And it may be as we're open to God and as we listen to God, he gives us a picture. Some of us are more pictorial. I'm more pictorial. I studied history of art. God often sometimes gives me a picture. And I don't force it on someone and say, God is saying to you, here's this picture. You better pay attention. I simply say, I wonder if this picture is a help. And sometimes I'm completely wrong. But sometimes there's something in it that is for God, from God for them. Or it may be a word. And often you feel slightly nervous and embarrassed because you don't know the significance of it. Your part is simply to step out and to share it and say, I don't know, does this word mean something particular to you? But if it is the right picture and it's the right word and it's for the moment, 
then goodness me, aren't they strengthened, encouraged, and comforted? And you might be embarrassed if it wasn't, but just think of what they're missing out on if you don't share it. It's a word from the Lord through a member of the body of Christ inspired by the Spirit to build up the rest of the body, the church. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 4, he who prophesies edifies the church, builds it up, strengthens it. Of course, it must always align with what the Bible teaches. We talked about the safeguards earlier. Now, dear Juliet Fellows did an Alpha course uh, and became a Christian. Someone had a word of prophecy for, that God was giving her the gift of evangelist. I've just spoken to her before, and she said she wanted the gift of healing. But actually, God had given her the gift of an evangelist. And if you know her, and you know her ministry in Children's Church in the Ark, you will see how true that word was. And then we come to the gift of tongues. Tongues is a special language given by the Holy Spirit. Normally, the speakers or the hearers don't understand it. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, he speaks to God. And it needs interpretation if it's spoken publicly. Chapter 14, verse 14. And it should be limited in number. Two or at most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. Chapter 14, verse 5, so the church can be edified. Tongues are given both for private and public use, often for the individual's spiritual strengthening. Chapter 14, verse 4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. It's a love language. It's an intimate communication between the believer and the Lord. And often, of course, we communicate with God in a whole variety of ways, sometimes wordlessly, with groans too, and sighs too deep for words. Should we be surprised that sometimes we communicate wordlessly in this different language? Are tongues for everyone? Do all speak in tongues, says Paul? The answer is no. It is one of the gifts of the Spirit. It must be good. Nothing to get anxious about, but simply to thank God for it, if that is a gift that he chooses to give you. In my last church, there was a wonderful lady called Dorothy, before she came to our church, she worshipped elsewhere. And one evening, she was kneeling by her bed praying. She was a wonderful praying woman. And suddenly, she found herself speaking in a strange language, and she was terrified. She thought, I'm having a mental breakdown. She asked her vicar in case he could explain it, and he couldn't. But eventually, she spoke to a clergyman who said, it seems as if God has given you the gift of tongues. And I love that story for its authenticity. She'd never heard of tongues. She couldn't have made it up. It was a gift. And I loved knowing that Dorothy was part of our church because I knew she was praying. Why is it this gift helpful? Well, it helps in our praise and worship, personally. Praying for oneself, maybe praying for others as you pray for someone quietly perhaps use that gift and it may help you listen more carefully. The trouble in Corinth was there was an excessive public use. Uh, Paul said, I speak in tongues, verse 18. I don't forbid speaking in tongues, but clearly what he was trying to do was to get a greater balance as to what was going on. They were young Christians. 
and in their enthusiasm, there was some chaos. Now, tied up with all of this, you will sometimes hear the phrase, baptism in the Spirit. The Bible never talks about Spirit-filled Christians. God has no first-class and second-class Christians. What the Bible is interested in is, are you a follower of Jesus or are you not? There's no two-tier system. When you become a follower of, of Jesus, you are baptized with the Spirit. And the word from the Greek, baptized, has to do with starting, beginning, initiation. Baptized with the Spirit is what happens when you become a Christian and receive the Holy Spirit for the first time. You are then filled with the Spirit, and you need to go on being filled. Because as somebody memorably said, the trouble is I leak. Ephesians 5.18, go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. One writer said this, There's nothing wrong with teaching people to pray and ask the Lord for an outpouring of more spiritual gifts in their lives. In fact, most Christians genuinely long for greater power in ministry, greater joy in worship, and deeper fellowship with God. Now, what we're going to do in a minute is we're going to pray for one another. In fact, what we, the way we're going to do it is women with women and men with men. Uh, if you can't do it with two, you just get a three of you. But the way to do it is this. In a way, it's modeling prayer ministry. And the first thing to do is not to speak, but to listen. To ask God by his Holy Spirit to help you to pray for the other person. You can talk to them. You can say, is there anything you'd like prayed for? But that may not be what God wants you to pray for them. And as you listen and spend at least a good long time, And then it may be that a verse comes to mind. It may be for some of us a picture. It may not be anything. But you still pray that they would be encouraged and helped and strengthened in their walk. But that's what happens in prayer ministry. There is a listening process that God by his spirit may show something, may show his agenda. So let's not rush in too quickly with our agenda Let's receive from God that we may be useful for someone else and be encouraged in that. Heavenly Father, it's a reminder again to be so grateful for your generosity as we look around here. We see your gifts in so many of us. And we thank you for that as we look out onto a world that is without Christ and without hope. And we pray that we may be useful for you as we Reflect even on the events of today in Brussels, the tragedies, the refugees, the desperate. And so, Lord, we come before you with a great sense of thanksgiving and ask that you would use us in these coming days because these gifts are for the common good, the good of all, for your church and wider. So we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.